I am excited about going through this, wrapping up the book of Colossians. And I, how many of you are readers? You're book nerds. Raise your hand. Come on. And some of you who don't want to be called a book nerd, raise your hand still. We're not going to make fun of you. Book nerds are cool. When you get to the end of a good book, it's exciting and it's depressing, isn't it? It's like I've made it. I've gone, oh, no, I don't want to finish it. And it's like the last sentence, you just keep reading it real slowly. And you're like, maybe I need to read the, the last chapter again because I, I, maybe it's not done. There's a trilogy that I've read three times, and every time I finish it, I, I'm, I'm telling you this. You can call me a wimp. You can beat me up after service. I cry. I hate when this trilogy ends. It's phenomenal. And when I get to the end of a book of the Bible, this will be the end of Colossians that we go through today. It's hard because there's so much that God's been doing in us these past few months. There's so much that he's been working on us these past few months. So as we go through the book of Colossians, we've had this this series title, Foundation Repair. And here's here's a question. How many many of you are procrastinators? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know. I can raise my hand later. No, some of us are really bad procrastinators. We're really bad. I'm like, no, we're not, but I'll argue with you later about it. So here's the scenario for us procrastinators, all right? Something's broken in the house. And all you do is get mad. And trust me, I've been there before. I, I procrastinate. You get mad at the fact that it's broken, and it's so irritating to use it, isn't it? And then one day, you're sick of it. You're done. You go out, and whatever it is that's broken is now fully broken. And like we were singing, sweetly broken, because you just rip it out of the wall. And now you force yourself to not procrastinate and fix it. And then when you put it back in the wall, and everything's fixed and beautiful, and you look at it and you go, oh, man, this is so nice. And every time you use it or you pull on it or whatever, you're like, man, this is so nice. What do we say? Why didn't I do this before? Why didn't I just look at this problem and dig it out instead of whine and whine and whine and whine about it? Something big God has been just hammering on me during Colossians study is I am, I am so content to complain to him about my problems and never realize he's provided the solution. I, I, I remember... Just this past week, I'm writing out a list of stuff I need to make sure we get done. And there's this one thing that we haven't done yet. I haven't announced it yet. I'm I'm getting frustrated that it's not ready and so on. And it's not against anybody specifically except for me just not having time to do it. And I'm praying yesterday morning, and I, God, you know, I'm really concerned about this thing. And immediately, almost an audible voice says, so then just do it. Just do it. You've identified the issue. You know what the solution is. Why aren't you implementing it? I don't know. (laughs) But we think of that. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I, why didn't I, I saw the problem. We can think right now, all of us, of the one little naggy, annoying thing in our life. It's the door handle in the car. It's, you know, the seatbelt has got that twist. How many of you can't stand a little twist in the seatbelt? Like you got to twist it. Oh, man. I will be twitching the whole ride if that seatbelt's wrong. I'm done. Can't handle it. So I'm going to put a sentence up here on the screen. We're going, to, we're going to try. I will make an effort. We're going to try and make it through the whole book of Colossians today as a recap. All right? I'm not going to cover every point. I'm not going to cover every single uh, uh, theological thing that I want to. Um, we need more comfortable chairs for that. So here is really how we attacked this whole study. We said this. Basically, blank out whatever we think is the foundation of these critical things in our life. 
Wipe them out. Treat it like a whiteboard. Write down what's the most important thing. What's this thing that drives you? What's this thing that, that gives you motivation? What is it that, that defines who you are and what you are? Realistically, what we did with the book is simply just put Jesus in there. So you see the blank switches to Jesus is that foundation. And, and sometimes we get, a little, we get a little caught up in, okay, well, yeah, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the purpose of everything. And, and, and I was talking to my wife today, and I said, you know, the, the vision for something is that we need to have God's glory needs to be our main focus. And then I stopped and I said, but we need to help people understand how to implement that. We need to help people realize and, and, and kind of get it. So what we're going to do is, this is the establishment. This is what we start with for our foundation repair. We have to find out, how do we make Jesus that foundation for wisdom? How do we make Jesus the foundation for knowledge? How do we make Jesus the foundation for our salvation? That's our big focus. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. I told you we're going right in the beginning. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. Remember, Paul doesn't like periods. Okay? He, doesn't, he has very large lungs. So he, <gasps> which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard anew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, and if you remember from the beginning, Epaphras being the planter that started those churches in that area, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul starts off saying Jesus is the foundation. He starts hammering away. Jesus is the foundation. He says, grace to you, peace from our God, Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heard of your faith, hope, and love. Why? Because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Those are the things that all that's based on. If you, if you, if you look at faith, hope, and love, I, I, at some point a while back we looked at the differences between faith, hope, and love, and, and, and hope is, is far in the future. It's what we look towards. And then you have faith, which says, I, I'm, I'm placing this, this belief, I'm placing all of my things, all my thoughts, everything right here on the fact that I have that hope. And the only thing that sustains us to be able to move through that is the unconditional love that says, the hope will always be there, and I will get you there. The hope will always be there, and he will get us there. That's hard. That's hard, especially when the world wants to get in our face and say, no, forget about the hope. Focus right here, because things are bad right here. Things are wrong right here. Things aren't going fast. Things are going too slow. Things aren't going slow enough. Whatever it is, right in front of our face is where? The world wants us to focus, where our enemy wants us to focus. And we have to stop and say, no, 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 no. The hope is here. The hope is here. Next Sunday, I am, I am so amped about what we're going to go through next Sunday. Um, but, man, you guys got like a half hour before I go into that. So let's keep reading because it, it, I'm excited because it really establishes. It's, uh, don't raise your hand 
But have you ever been, at points in your life, confused about what Christianity really, really is? Because what you believed and what churches have said, what other pastors have said, what evangelists have said, it doesn't seem to really connect with something real. We struggle a lot in America with understanding real Christianity. And when you watch places around the world and you see what Christianity looks like there, they're not fighting about, about same-sex marriage. They're not fighting about transgender, transgenderism. We have the luxury to be able to waste time on that stuff. They don't. In fact, another one just died for Jesus. Another one was beaten for Jesus. Their, their issues are not, well, we have to stand up for bathrooms for different people. Forget that stuff. Their issue is, can I stand for Jesus and not move for him? Because that's what Christianity is really about. That's what Christianity is really about. So as we keep going through here, remember, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. Paul starts off a prayer in verse 9, and this prayer, as we saw when we studied it, was like a big shovel at hitting the first problems in our foundation. That's doubt. That's doubt. If I ask the question, any of you have doubt, some of you would be like, well, I'm not sure. Right? I mean, it's, we all have doubt. We all have wonders and, and, and frustrations or, or concerns about what could be happening. Why, do, why is it every single time I come to the spot of my life, I'm on my face in two seconds? Why? Well, what we talked about with doubt was that doubt often is an area where it identifies a, a gap in our foundation with Christ. It identifies an area where there's this hole where we chose to put something that didn't belong there. We had a neighbor who built a house, and one of the things they did, the contractor did, which the neighbor didn't know this, they took all the construction trash, put it in a hole, covered it over with about a foot of dirt, and drove away at the end of the job. Now, it looks great the first year, but five years later, they've got a sinkhole in their yard. They don't know why. So they went digging it up, and they're finding things that don't decompose, like hunks of metal, plastics, things like that, and they found all the construction trash was dumped on their property. It looked like a good level lawn, beautiful grass, healthy trees, until this hole started to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it started to be a puddle. Then you couldn't go down in it in the mower because you couldn't, then you couldn't come back out of the hole. It was a problem. Why? Because the foundation that that was built on just began to rot and fall apart. It couldn't hold reality. And some of us, we, we get stuck with these short-term solutions. We get stuck with these kind of Christianese things of, well, well God's got it, and, and, and these, these truths that they're unappliable, but they may feel good for a time. But when trouble comes around, does it change the trouble from coming? Does it change how we deal with it? Often not. We have to go back to the foundation of, is this trouble me? We all know what the answer is. It's usually, yeah, it's my fault. We're the ones who cause it. We're the ones who allow foundation pieces to be built on things that are fake, built on things that are focused on the here and the now. So when we started doing digging out the doubt, here's what we we studied, verse 9. And he says this, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, what's the it? The fact that you all came to Christ and you're preaching the gospel because of that, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you have it in your head and you know how to apply it in the power of God. That you may have a walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That sounds like a really good life. That sounds like a really good life. At the end of the week, you look at your week and you go, wow, I actually feel like I know God more. I I feel like 
something has come from my life. I feel like there's, there's purpose in it now. None of that has to do with I had fun this week. That has to do with did I accomplish the chief reason for my creation, to glorify God and to enjoy him. Did I do that? Well, that's what he's praying for here. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Just that statement, and, and I can't hang out there long, just that statement in verse 12 is massive. We are unqualified. How many of you have had that, that, that wonderful letter from the college or that wonderful callback going, Hi, how are you doing? You apply for the job? Yeah, we've chosen somebody else, right? And the way you translate it is, we hate you and think you're stupid, right? That's, that's what you feel like. That's what it feels like when you get rejected and you get told you are unqualified. Or worse, the, the, the fake, well, we're sorry, you're just overqualified, which half the time that's true. Half the time it's not. They just want to make you feel better because they're passive. Either way, Hearing that, that you're not good enough or you're not the right fit for that, when we really believe we were, that doesn't feel good. Well, for, for all of time, humanity has not been qualified to be with the Creator, although the Creator has been working for all of time to get us qualified. Behind the scenes with things that we never would have known happened. That's why even after Christ, Paul continues to say, Peter says it, John says it, that this purifying process is constantly working behind the scenes to finish and complete the joy, the, the, the work that he has in us. It's constantly happening to continuously qualify us, and it has nothing to do with my own effort. I don't qualify myself for God. He doesn't say, I love you because you're you. He says, I love you because I see me. He doesn't look at us and go, wow. You were good this week. I love you more. No. You were bad this week. I love you less is also not a sentence that comes out of his mouth. We need to get that. Some of us struggle with that more than others. Some of us, that's never an issue because we're, we're secure. We're fine and all of that. And that's awesome. We've got more foundation problems we're going through the rest of today. So as he digs out the doubt, he says this in verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. You read that verse, remember, there are only two kingdoms. There are only two powers. It's one or the other. It's black or white. Now, there's many pictures and many visions and many things that can be on the side of evil just as much as there are many ways that God works in his people. But it's still one or the other. One or the other. Verse 14, in whom, remember this is Jesus he's talking about, we have redemption. And I just spilled my water. All right. And redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, he stops. He stops right there and he says, Jesus, we're redeemed, we're transferred. He, he makes this huge picture. And I, I, I wish, and I've prayed before, God, give me Old Testament eyes. What, what was really being said here? What was the massive victory in the spiritual world that, that is being drawn on by Paul here? See, there's so many theological things we, we miss because we have New Testament eyes, we have first world eyes, we have modern eyes, and we have highly, highly disconnected from a historical perspective eyes. We miss so much. There, there was no... There was no deliverance from these demonic powers before Christ. 
You'll go through all kinds of Hebrew literature. There are ways that the Hebrews wrote psalms and things like that to try and comfort those that were demon-possessed, comfort those with diseases. That's why the prophecy of he will come and deliver them from demons, he will come and heal them of their sicknesses, that's a huge deal. For thousands of years, that wasn't around. I mean, the, 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 the event of Jesus is not just simply, well, yes, Jesus existed. It's, it's not that simple. But we sit on the other side of that massive event in history and go, well, yeah. I mean, we even have debates in, in theological circles of, do you believe that the, that the works of the Holy Spirit have stopped? Are you kidding me? A hundred years after Jesus came, they're not wondering about the power of the Holy Spirit. They're drowning in it because it had never been going on before. But we got more and more comfortable. We got more and more comfortable. And we said, you know what? First world eyes, we don't need God. I got cars. I don't need God. I got a gas card. I don't need God. I've got three cars. I don't need God. I've got a house. I don't need God. I've got heater. I've got AC. Praise the Lord for AC. I've got all these things. What do I need God for? I've provided everything that he's offered to provide for me. And the only time I go is when my first world problems bother me enough. And I'm talking about me. God, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, God. Why are you worried about electricity? Well, we have to cook. Right, and you can't cook without electricity, Joe. Well, I, I don't know. Well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I gonna... he, he's, he's a God that's just massive and provides so much for us. But our first world eyes miss it. These verses right here mark this atom, spiritual atomic bomb that happened in the spiritual world. I think it's N.T. Wright. He's a great theologian. I love to study his stuff. He says that that was the day the war began. That Jesus threw down, when he says here, he throws down the gauntlet and says, I am going to establish my church, and those gates will not prevail, as he points at hell. They will not prevail. Why? Because we are an advancing army. And we are not gentle with evil and sin, although we are gentle with those that do it and those that are sinful because we're, we're sharing the gospel. But we are not gentle with those evil powers. We are advancing against it. We are not sitting and cowering. We're not. We, we're, we're the ones who are the scary ones. We're the ones. There should be no doubt. We're the scary ones in the spiritual world. God wants to use us. God already said he's going to use us. So the doubt a lot of times doesn't come from a, the minimized um, or the minimal power of God that we're given. It actually comes a lot from the fact that we've minimized the God and we've minimized the power that he's given us. We miss the point. Verse 15 brings us into a section of Scripture where we started saying, okay, we've got doubt. Where do we place Jesus in our life? We said, Jesus, he's all that. That was the title for this teaching. And we started in verse 15. It says this. This is, a, this is a big one. This is, if you want to go to theology, you can dig into this section of Scripture and you'll, you'll never find the bottom of it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's not physical birth. That's preeminence. That is overwhelming priority. Not firstborn in the sense of the first of creation. It's overall. There is no relation to the creation. It is the creator that he's implying here. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. So if we have a brain, we know there's other cults out there that believe certain things. If we have a brain grammatically, we know that verse 16 
can't mean that he was a creation if he was the creator. We would have multiple levels of lesser beings in this case, and that's not it. So it says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Those are the same words that are used of uh, Paul in Ephesians to talk about the spiritual forces of wickedness. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. You notice a key word in here? All, 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 all. If I want, you guys know this, if I want all the donuts, how many do I want? All of them. If I want all the bacon, I want how much of it? All of it. All of it. If there's that one, you guys know that, that one crispy piece that's got the end broken off of it? Someone already nabbed it, didn't they? They've nabbed it. If you give me a dozen donuts from Donut King, you ate one of them because we know the king's dozen is 13. (laughs) When I want all the donuts from Donut King, there better be 13 in the box. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, guys, we're not leaving anything out. Jesus is, it's all about Jesus. He is all that. There's nothing else we can go, well, you know, Jesus and. That, That doesn't matter. You can say Jesus and worship him forever, but you can't say Jesus and to add to what he's done and accomplished. It is Jesus, period. Period. And then it gets, keeps going. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, we don't use the word preeminence at all today. We just don't use it. It's, it's a very kingly type of name. It, preeminence, there, there is, it's, there, there's an eminence, there's something that, a holiness and a set-apartness, and there's something that's even prior to that. It exceeds the greatness and holiness more than we could ever imagine. He should get that primary focus in our life. He will get that primary focus in our life. And that's why it says that there's, there's nothing in this world that Jesus comes behind. He's always before. He's always ahead. Like we sang, your love is greater. It, it's so much higher. There, there's nothing that can compare. He is all that. And then we finished off. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Again, we don't use that phrase But what that implies, or what that is stating, I should say, is that everything that is God was there, but everything that is man was there. And everybody goes, oh, I totally understand it now, right? No. No, none of us understand it. And I'm okay with that. I I love that question. I had someone ask me that. I was in the middle of kind of just discussing Christian, God, church, religious things with someone who was neither, none of those things. And he said, oh, okay, okay. So how is one person two people? And of course, I played dumb at that point going, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, how is Jesus like totally God and totally man? I don't know. Well, if you can't understand that, why would I even want to follow this? If he's greater and everything that I can understand is factual, that I can establish it with truth and the things I can't understand far exceed the natural then that means I have a super, a beyond, natural God. If we can understand our God, then usually it's just a glorified version of ourself. In fact, I should say probably every case it is. Oh, I've totally got God understood. He likes his coffee. 
you know, ground just right, and the water is actually at 189 degrees, not 190, because he's God, he knows better, and uh, no, it has nothing to do with God. But you, you will hear all kinds of, yeah, you're right, that was me, and uh, by the way, if you really want to drink good coffee, that's how you have to, to do it, but we'll have a whole different discussion later, single origin, no more than two days roasted, things like that. But back to Jesus. I can't stand to, to watch and, and listen to these discussions with people who spout off incredible theology and then say, but, and then add in their own sets of opinions that have nothing to do with it. I, I listen to a guy, and you guys know that this just drives me up a wall. My wife knows it drives me up a wall, and she loves to do it to me. But I watched this video of this guy who was harping on beautiful theology and talking about the amazing excitement of the gathering of the saints together. And then he all of a sudden goes to a sentence and doesn't finish it with a period and says, but, and then starts harping on clothing in church. I wanted to punch my phone. I, I did. If God really means something to you, shouldn't you consider what you wear? Yes, I'm not going to wear Daisy Dukes to church. You all are welcome. But come on, people. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord looks at the heart. The heart will drive for those things. For the younger kids, Daisy Dukes, Dukes a hazard. Go watch the video with your parents covering certain portions of it. It's... Boys, you're not even allowed to watch it. Just explain it, Dad. We get caught up in things where we go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And because Why? Because we don't think Jesus is all that in our area of life. Because we struggle with those kinds of things. I remember talking to a guy who was ripping up one side and down the other. This one lady who came to church, she had short shirts, she had a halter top on or whatever. Uh, very beautiful woman. I actually knew her history. She had recently gotten saved. And all he did was harp on how, and I won't even use the words right now, how disgusting it was that she would have the audacity to come to church like that. And I said, do you know who that person is? No. And I said, well, let me, I think I know who you are. What do you mean? I said, number one, you surf porn. Number two, you probably are addicted to it. Number three, you can't control your eyes because you're a lust maniac. And number four, this woman just got recently saved. So what are you doing to mentor and disciple her so she understands? He wasn't my friend anymore, but I wasn't looking for friendship. I wanted him to stop and realize what our job as Christians is. It's not to identify the things we don't like about someone because they don't match our standard because we can't even meet our own standard, can we? No, we can't. So when Jesus looked at the, the prostitutes or, or the lepers and things like that, he's like, oh, well, how dare you? You're wearing a color. Your, your head shaved a certain way. Your, your, your toga is too short, whatever. He, he wasn't harping on that stuff. What did he say? He identified the weak areas in their life and said, follow me. Well, once you change your clothes and get better, you can follow me. Said Jesus, never. Never. He's either all that or let's go somewhere else. Tailgaters, it's on me. Two drinks for everyone. This, this is a waste of time if Jesus isn't all that. If it isn't all about Jesus. Amen? It's a waste of time. And the seats aren't even that comfortable. So we get then moving into verse 21. And I will tell you, this week, after studying through some things and preparing for next week, this means so much more now, but I will try and get through it quickly. Verse 21 says this, and you, it's talking to the Colossians, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. He's talking to Gentiles who had no hope at all of getting back with their creator. 
They didn't even have the promise that they could hold on to. They had to wait for the promise to be fulfilled in the people of God at that time so that the Gentiles could be blessed. Like Scripture says all over the Old Testament, all nations, all nations, all nations. Don't let these cults fool you and say, well, you know, it's all about Jews and we're all Jews anyways genetically. Somehow it gets to us or whatever. That's the dumbest thing ever. Observable science, genetics proves that that's just simply not the case. There's not some lost tribes that are wandering around going, I don't know where my Messiah is. No. God knows exactly who his people are. And he says, I sent my Messiah to my own. They were not received. And then I will go to all the nations. So theologically, don't get caught up in that. Don't worry about that stuff. Just tell them Jesus is all that. Next verse. Verse 22. In the body of his flesh, this is where he has reconciled us, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. That sounds like a good way to meet God. Holy, set apart for his work, blameless. Doesn't that feel good when, when you'd be in school or something and, and you'd, get in, you'd get in trouble, although you didn't do anything, and they go, well, what about you? What were you doing? Uh, I wasn't even there. I'm kind of wondering why I'm here. You're, you're blameless in that situation. There's nothing they can hold against you. You stood for the truth at that point. There's nothing they can hold against you. Blamelessness feels good. We've worked out all the details. We don't have anything that can be brought to us. Irreproachable, meaning there is no way that anybody can bring any kind of reproach against us. They can't come against us and say, well, you haven't resolved this thing in your life. Yes, I have. Jesus. It's it's completely resolved because of him. What it doesn't say here is, you've checked all the boxes. Good job. 52 church attendances every year since you accepted Jesus at summer camp when you were 13. Well done. It's not what it says. You served here. Not what it says. Your church used the right version of the Bible. Not what it says. Not what it says. You have to start with Jesus. You have to start with that relationship with his son. Now, you guys can debate me on this all you want. You can get frustrated that I'm bringing it up. Don't even need to worry about the name, but this is a prominent public figure from a pastoral perspective. He is getting grilled by the public media, and the public media pushes on him and says this, and I love his answer. Public media says, well, since you call yourself a Christian, what's your stance on same-sex marriage? He says, I have one. Well, she goes, "Well, well, what is it? Do you want me to just spout it out, or do you actually want to talk? Well, you need to tell, tell us what your stance is. And he says, no. Because the public forum is not the place to sit here and just throw a set of ideas out that people are going to take out of context and use to try and come against me. Then the truth of what really changes us never gets out, because the message is about the love of God and the work of Jesus Christ in someone's life, not about doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing. It starts with Jesus and his transformation. And she's like, so what is your stance? And he goes, we have one stance. We outline and define what the love of God should mean in our life. Now, some of us get, that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. He, he should have stood for a godly marriage. Why? So the media can continue to roast someone else? I will not cast my pearls before that swine. If they would like to talk about it and they're not trying to put me in a public forum to, to set me up for failure, then I will wisely, just like Jesus did. What did Jesus respond with? Pontius Pilate makes a question. What did Jesus say? You're darn right, I'm the king. No, what did he say? You've said it. Guys, we need to realize our job is not to defend some set of social norms. Our job is to defend what the work of Jesus Christ can do. 
We're not going to change the social problem in our country by forcing morality through legalistic things or standing on things saying, gays go to hell. That's not going to change it because anybody who can be really nice people go to hell. We can put that sign up there too because that's just as true. I've got a guy that I love tremendously, and he has, since he was a teenager, suffered from same-sex attraction, and he doesn't know why it isn't taken away, but he loves his Jesus so much, and he fights those lusts, and he fights those struggles and those problems every single day of his life. And I wonder sometimes if I'm going to heaven by how awesome this man is. And he can't stand it when someone in church is sitting there hammering on something like that. Is it evil? Well, of course it is, because it draws us away to worship something other than our God. Is it the focus? No, because we have to say, what are you doing with Jesus first? That's where we have to start. God fixes so much of this stuff when we give our life over to him. And then that actually takes us into this next section. In in, in our studies, when we talked about kind of moving forward into, my God is bigger than yours. How big do we really put God in our life? Or what do we call God in our life, and is it true? The challenge here in chapter 2 is we start in verse 1. He says this, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. And that understanding is to the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. That is an awesome prayer. And and Paul's heart there was, he doesn't want one little piece of the foundation going, well, I get Jesus here and I understand God here, but I just, you know, I'm not going to worry about it here. We have to decide either he's God of all of our life or he's not. And there's nothing more frustrating than being partially devoted. It doesn't make for good marriages. It doesn't make for good volunteers. It doesn't make for good employees. It doesn't make for good friends. Can you imagine your friend is like, yeah, I just told him all your secrets or whatever because, you know, I just didn't really care at the moment and it was funny. Well, thanks. Next time when you're not going to be devoted or whatever, just let me know. Oh, I'm devoted as your friend today, so you can tell me everything. That's, no. No. I'm devoted to you, to you too, buddy. All four tires, I was devoted with my knife. Yeah, we're good. We're good friends now. We're, there, there's, there's no devotion. We, we have to be either fully devoted, and then those relationships transform us. In marriage, for me, that was a big thing that changed my marriage and even changed my parenting. I had gotten married, and I remember a, a mentor of mine telling me, I didn't get married because of love. I got married because of lust. And I think everybody here who got married can look at that if you've been married for more than five minutes. You realize, wait a second, um, this person's really attractive or I like being around them sometimes. And then other times, I wish homicide was legal. We get frustrated. We get fr- Don't you guys dare get nervous and judge me. You guys have all thought it. Relax. We get frustrated. We deal with those relationships. It's like, why? They just listen. I've already told them like a hundred times how this goes, or what should happen here, or what should go on here. But when you get devoted to someone, you require agapeo. Absolutely, without condition, caring for that person. That transforms everything. 
It transforms everything. We are told not only to agapeo, to unconditionally care for and love our spouse, our children, but even all those around us. And that's hard. That's hard. It may be easy on a Sunday to be like, hey, brother, hey, sister. It's a little awkward sometimes, but we like that. But what happens when we're out somewhere else? And we're around people that we're not really comfortable around. Can we unconditionally love them and care about them? That's the challenge that we're, we're called to with devotion that God's talking about. Am I devoted to the mission that God's called me to? I have to be devoted to Him first. And if I'm devoted to Him, His mission is, is everything that I want to accomplish. And nothing of my own really matters. But if I'm not that devoted to Him, and I'm partially devoted to Him, then me leaks in everywhere. And we know that. I was talking to one of my kids today using his mouth for hurt and not good. And my first question usually is, hey, sounds like you're having a rough day, so tell me about your devotion. How was it? Uh, I didn't have one. Really? I couldn't tell. There's a whole lot of you hanging out in here today, buddy. Why don't you go get rid of him and get some Jesus? Are we devoted to us? Are we devoted to him? Is, is, is he really Bigger than anything in our life. Verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus is hidden all these things. There is no doubt in what is hidden in him. Verse 4 says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. I want to establish a firm foundation in you, he says. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. Your steadfastness, in other words, there is firmness. You don't have a foundation that's wobbling and squishy. I don't want a jello foundation. I want steel-reinforced concrete, multiple feet thick. Let's put some in-floor heat in there, too, for the wintertime. It's our steadfastness and our firmness of our faith in Christ. And he continues in verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received Christ Jesus, how do we receive him? By grace through faith. Then that is how we continue to walk. Galatians 3 says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you so foolish, Galatians, that you began this, this walk in the Spirit, and th- then you're going to go ahead and finish it in the flesh? You're saved by grace through faith, by the power of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you could do except for provide and give your life over, 100% devoted to him, and now you're going to get caught up in circumcision and these rules and these regulations as if that finishes your faith? If it can't start your faith, it won't finish your faith. Remember that. If it can't start your faith, it won't finish your faith. Jesus is the beginner and the finisher of our faith. But even then, he continues in verse 7 and says, we need to be rooted and built up in him. Remember, foundation, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Then he says this, beware, lest anyone cheat you or defraud you or plunder you or take you captive through philosophy, empty deceit according to the tradition of men. You can say religious practices or spiritualistic things or feelings or psychologies and things like that which are according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. These are according to things that we can understand with our mind and not according to the, the completely incomprehensible, no way to understand it, work of Christ on the cross. I don't get it. 
I don't get it. Even, even now, after following Christ for over 30 years, I look at this and I say, why do you still deal with me, God? I mean, I, I, I knew better for most of my life, and yet I still chose to do stupid things. I still chose to change my devotion at times. But he still kept on. While we yet and unfortunately continue to be sinners, Christ died for us. He knew what he was getting into. He wasn't duped into it. He wasn't surprised and murdered. He, was de- he had decided to die before he was born. And that was because of his unwavering love for us. Can you imagine if Jesus, halfway through his ministry on the earth, was like, you know what, God? I can't handle this anymore. These people. I'm done. But he's like the one who could really go around and like pop our heads like we all want to in meetings and stuff like that. He could have done that, but he didn't. The very people who were to be carrying his name and holiness were the ones he was the most ruthless with. And the ones who the holy ones were the most ruthless, ruthless with, he was a, a pillow, a place that the broken could come. We start talking about brokenness. Scoot on down to verse 16. Because we established in verses 11 through 15 this this whole context of spiritual circumcision where God came in and and said, I've I've cut away this this flesh and that law that was written on it, all that list of wrong and failures were tied to that body. And if you let me cut it off, And that body is gone, and it's buried, and it's dead, just like Christ was. And you're now raised with me, and your spirit now has life. So we had the title of that series was You're Dead to Me. But as we, we established that, that you're dead to me context here, we started digging into what are the things we try and bring back? What are the things we bring into our life to try and honestly obligate God? And as we started off the teaching, Band-Aids don't heal broken bones, we started in verse 16 that said, Therefore, since we have been cut off from it all, we don't have that obligation against us anymore. The man of flesh is gone. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. They are a shadow of something to come, and the body that casts a shadow is Jesus. That's phenomenal to think of the work of Jesus and what he did. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus plus. It's not a formula. It's Jesus, period. Jesus, period. And if we don't have that relationship with him, then we don't got it. There's nothing else we have to do except for get back in relationship with him. I know the conversations I've had with so many people like, yeah, yeah, I used to go to church. Yeah, I used to do the whole God thing or whatever, but i got a lot of work before I can put my foot in a church again. What kind of work is that? you got to reinstall your foot? Just come. Nah, i got a lot i got to deal with. No, you don't. You've already proven for 20, 30 years you can't deal with it. Let's go. Come on. No, I'd probably get struck by lightning if I walked in. Trust me, if anybody's getting struck by lightning, it's me. I'm the tallest one in here on the podium. Well, we can't shower before we shower. That's not what Christianity's about. We can't try and take a a physical solution to a spiritual problem. So then he he gets into verse 18 and says, Let no one defraud you. Don't get caught up in this religiosity by taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, 
Another way that that gets translated from the Greek is saying they've seen something special. I've got a special revelation. How many of you know it's time to turn the channel when you hear that, right? I've got a special revelation from God. Someone out there is watching. Click. Not anymore. It's not happening. Maybe he's listening to Google in our house. But other than that, no. They don't know what's going on. They're vainly puffed up, he says here, in their fleshly mind. They're not holding fast to Christ being the center. They're not holding fast to the head, to Jesus, from whom all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments and grows with the increase which is from God. Then he says this in verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is the living in the world? Do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with with using. They're all according to the commandments and doctrines of men. They all are. These things, and I love this verse 23, I've got it highlighted, I've got it underlined, I've got it bracketed, and I've got stuff written all around it. You don't believe me? Look at this. I look like a graffiti artist. I love, right here, I love this scripture. You know why? Because it says this. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Some of us have looked at people that live that life and go, man, that's holy. I'm talking, in this case, I'm thinking, man, it looks like Swiss cheese. They're missing a whole lot of how good God is. Self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence in the flesh. Here's what I wrote next to it. Trying to use religion and legalism to defeat the flesh never works. To beat the flesh, I must increase the spirit. There's no room for the flesh if my spirit is huge. There's no room for it. If we're wondering, oh, man, God, I just, oh, I just, it's like I get the opportunity to sin and I do it twice. Don't fight the flesh. Yes, say no to the flesh, but work on filling the Spirit. Work on filling the Spirit. Work on filling the Spirit. Are you saying that I should be like praying and doing Bible study all the time whenever I'm sinning? Maybe. Maybe in the times when we're idle, when sin happens the most, we should take it up and go for Scripture. I'm alone a lot, then you're going to be a great preacher one day because you're going to hear some serious scripture going on in your life. And I'll tell you, that's transformed a lot of people I know. Fell madly in love with Jesus. Then we get into chapter 3. Chapter 3, we talked about now that we've established this basis, we're, we're starting to kind of figure out that foundation. There are choices. Now that we've been cut off, there are things that are still attached to us as humans that have this old life. And, and the title we had was slightly inflammatory, and I know that was surprising for me. I'm typically kind of tame and, and such, but the title was Take It All Off. Take it all off. Get rid of it all. Verse, th- verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, If then, you could also put in there, Since you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above. If I'm raised with Christ, if I, if I chose to put my devotion to him, my flesh is dead, it was buried, and then I'm raised with him. That means I'm with him. Why would I be sitting here looking down? Not unless we're a bunch of engineers. You guys ever heard that joke before? How do you know if someone's an engineer or a manager? If they're an engineer, they look at your shoes. If they're a manager, they look at your belt buckle. Never make, oh my gosh, well, it's funny. I'll go back down to the engineers and tell them that they like that one. All right. If we are raised with, man, that really fell flat. That was bad. Give me a cursory laugh or something. You've got to help me here. There we go. Thank you. So we've got, we've, we've got an issue here that if we're not focused on what Christ is focused on, we're looking down, we're looking away from him. 
If we have been raised with Christ, and he says, since or if, if this is really what your life is, what your definition is, you're not going to be looking down at other things and where you were. You're going to be looking at where you're at and where you're going. Where do we drive? How do we drive? Do we drive staring at the rearview mirror? No. We look out that massive windshield. When we get married, we don't sit there looking through the, the black book and going, wow, wow whew, yeah, that one was, that one was good. Whew, oh, yeah, that one was hot, yeah. No. When we're married, we're 100% devoted to the one we're married to. We're dedicated. We're dedicated to that. So we have to take off the things that draw us into that. And here's where he goes. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind. That means configure it, lock it in, wire it together. Get it to the point where they're focused on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When, when Jesus shows up, do you want to be surprised? Like, oh, yeah, that's right. No. It, it's going to be one of those things like, yeah, I saw that one coming. I see what you're doing here. I want, I want to get caught in the midst of the work for Jesus when he shows up. Not like with my hand in the cookie jar going, oh, uh, uh, hey, man, you, you're a little early. No. No, I want to be sitting there so busy about that work with my eyes so fixed on, he's coming right there. I know he's coming. I know he's coming. And as soon as there's an appearance of that, boom, I'm gone and I'm with him. That's the life he's calling us to here. We're so dedicated to what he wants us to be doing. We're so focused on where he wants us to be. Then he says this, verse 5, Therefore, therefore, since this is your focus, this is your drive, it's where your mind is set, it's where your heart is set, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Because of the things that we were taught to do, we were taught to sin, we had things that drew us into sin and, and violating our Savior. They're coming upon their sons of disobedience. I can't even go into the theology of, of what's going on there right now. In which you also once walked, you walked in those ways, and you lived in those ways. Verse 8, but now you must put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. And you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge and according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, city, and slave, nor free, but Christ is all in all, there is no Alaskan or lower 48. There's no native. There's no non-native. There's no, there's no nothing. There's no Baptist. There's no Pentecostal. There's no none of those things out there. There's no differentiating lines of value that humans put on things. It's either Jesus or not. That's where our value comes from. That's it. Well, I'm this or I'm that, and I don't care is usually my response. My family's a third-generation Baptist. I'm sorry. It has nothing to do with where we're associated with. It has to do with who we are associated with. It doesn't matter. It can be 19,000 generations of, of people. I don't care. Jesus looked at him and said, I don't need you. I'll go ahead and raise up people from the stones. Your genealogy means nothing to me. It means nothing. By the way, I control it. Any of you choose where you were going to be born? If you did, that's pretty exciting. I want to talk to you. (laughs) 
get into verse 12. And he starts talking about now holiness. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And here's what I love about Scripture. Put off, put off, put off, put off. Religion says put a period there. Christianity, a true relationship with Christ says put off, put off, put off. Because we have something to put on. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. I can't do that, Joe, because it's Christ's work in us. But then verse 14 has something powerful here. But above all these things, before you even try to put that into your life, before you even try and put that on, here's your base layer, Alaskans. Here's our base layer. But above all these things, put on agape, which is the bond of perfection. It's the superglue that makes everything work. It's the base layer that makes all the top layers work right. Unconditional devotion and care. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, for which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Look at your life today. Don't raise your hand. Look at your life today. Would you say that, that the teachings of Christ, the gospel, that, that these scriptures here dwell richly in your life? If you don't, then don't sit there and beat yourself up. Get into it. We've got devotions on the hub down there right when you walk out below the Q&A. Grab a handful of them for you and your family. Get into scripture. And most importantly, get that scripture into you. It's got to dwell in us richly. And, and, and he's pulling on this. Why? Because we're called. Here's the thing. Even in the writer of Hebrews, even in other letters here, teaching and admonishing one another. Can you right now as a Christian say, I'd be comfortable to teach someone about God? Many of us would say no. And that's not because, well, I'm just not gifted. Uh-uh. Put that trash away. We are called. We may teach one-on-one. We may teach one-on-a-hundred. You may be like me, where if it's not 100,000, it's not enough. Whatever it is, we're called to teach. And it starts in our home, and we're going to have a series on that in August. I'm excited about it. And he says this. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever, this is the first time he actually says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's the thing. That's the third commandment, guys. That's the third commandment. Do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Here's what it really, really means. If you go and look at that, it's a massive Hebrew word. Do not carry or, or associate with or identify with or drag around the nature and the name of your creator for things that are worthless. That's big. Everywhere we go, if we call ourselves a Christian, we take the name of Jesus in the spiritual realm. And do we want him to be a mockery, or do we want him to be a power that he deserves? That's what the third commandment's about. It's not don't say bad words and use his name to enhance them. Yeah, we shouldn't do that. It's offensive to me when you use my creator, my precious, amazing savior, to enhance your curse word. But that's not the issue, because devotion is the problem. Not using wordy dirts. Devotion is the problem. If I'm devoted enough, I'm not going to use my wife's name as an enhancement to a curse word when I'm mad at somebody. I love her. I would never violate her that way. I love my God. I never want to use his name, whether it's a title God or it's the name that, that, that we would say Yah or Yahweh or whatever we want to say. I never want to use that. I never want to use that because I'm so devoted to him. 
And that's why he's saying this in here in Scripture. It's, it's about the devotion. It's about the, the commitment. And then he says, what does holy begin to look like? Well, here, let's look at the family. Holiness, wives, submit to your own husbands, not all men, as, to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, agapeo, actively, unconditionally, be devoted and caring to your wife. Do not be bitter towards them. Here's a better translation. Do not be nasty with them. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters. You could change that word to employees according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, not when the boss is away, employees play, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whether they're looking or not, am I dedicated and devoted to the glory of God or am I dedicated and devoted to my glory and comfort? Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Knowing that he is my rewarder, he is the one who's got this for me. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for the wrong which he has done. There's no partiality with God. God's not looking at him going, well, sorry, Joe, he's your boss. He's got a sin ticket. He's good to go. Well, trust me. We don't got to worry about that stuff. The physical world is short. Let them have their fun. There's a God who vindicates. Masters, give your servants what is just and fair. You can say bosses, leaders, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The buck does not stop with us, if we're bosses or, or leaders or, or whatever, the buck does not stop with us. We answer to God, just like everyone else. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom. Those who, t- towards those who are outside redeeming the time. You remember that from last week. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What does holy look like? So as we start now to close this chapter out, Foundation Repair is the series Foundation Repair is the series title, the teaching title to close out Colossians. Is Foundation Repaired. He's ending, and he's set up two chapters of theology. Now he's set up two chapters of practical application. Our foundation can be repaired. There's obviously more in Scripture we can apply, but this is the beginning. So he then begins to close the letter, and he says, uh, uh, Tychicus or Tychicus or whatever you want to say it, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you, sorry, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, if you've ever read Philemon, you know about Onesimus, who is the slave who ran away and then got saved and then was sent back a Christian by Paul. A faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. There's a story behind that I can't get into. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They've proved to be a comfort to me. 
Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You'll see a point up on the screen. I want you all to know. If you make rise your home church for as long as where God chooses to have us, or if you end up moving somewhere else, here's what I want you all to realize. A true leader, a true leader fights for those they lead in prayer. If you end up being someone that Rise sends out in the next few years to plant a church somewhere in this state, a true leader is someone who fights for those they lead in prayer. Are we praying as fathers and as mothers? Are we praying for the, the kids that we lead? The grandkids that we lead, are we praying for them and fighting for them? Why fight, Pastor Joe? Because something else is fighting for them on the other side. And we have to contend. And we were given a bigger arsenal anyways. So don't leave the massive gun closet that God gave us shut and locked. Rip it open and start unloading magazine after magazine on our enemy. Pray and pray for those that we lead. I need to pray more. I need to be lifting up you guys a lot more. I need to be focused on that more. Why do I say that? Because I, I, we can never pray too much. We can pray wrongly. We can have our focus wrong. But I, we can never go, hey, you know what, Pastor? I really think you pray too much. Said nobody ever. It's never going to happen. Like, you know, Mom, I'm really getting sick of this whole prayer thing. Every time I get up in the morning, I hear you pray. And you're like, Dad, you never let me in your office because you're praying. No, I have awesome memories of my dad, my mom. I'd come downstairs, my mom would be sitting there, tears in her eyes, praying for us. I'd go out, walk out to the garage to get some breakfast out of the, the freezer, and my dad would be in his office. He'd been out there for four hours reading the Bible and praying. Man, that's a testimony. It's exciting to me that we have that chance, we have that potential to be part of leading others as Christians. But the other thing that, that, that challenges me here is he says this, that the prayers are towards an end and not just so we feel better as leaders. It says this, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You may stand mature and fully assured. How many of us have ever had a little bit of a doubt of why we believe what we believe? You can't do that. You're a pastor, Joe. Yes, I can. I'm human. We've doubted. We've wondered. We've wondered. Well, here's the thing. Here's the next point. We can be mature and know what God wants to know or do with us. We can be mature. We can be mature and know what God wants with us. We don't have to wonder. Oh, Joe, I've asked a million times. I've prayed all these different times. I said, God, what's your will for me? 100% Living according to this yet? Well, no, I can't. That'll take forever. Good. Here's your mission. Here's your mission. But I want to to know what God really wants from me right here. No, like specifically right here. No, like with tomorrow. What if I go through the drive-thru? You know, you guys know what I think about that. He's praying these things not because they can't be answered, but because it's a promise of God to complete everything in us that we would come to that full knowledge. Will we know everything right now? No, we see through a glass very dimly. Very, very dimly. Let's keep reading. 
Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. And those who are in Laodicea, those in Hierapolis, I just got to say on verse 13, I brag about you, so get over it. You're that prideful pastor? Well, oh well, then I will have that sin on my account for a while. I love you guys. I don't come here because I'm like, yeah, you know, I just want to feel better about myself. Trust me, there are much better ways for me to feel better about myself than getting the snot beat out of me all week as I study the scripture and dealing with no sleep on Saturday nights because I'm battling in prayer over what God wants to say, being exhausted on Sunday afternoons after teaching and sharing with you guys just because I want to look good. Trust me, my hair isn't brushed the right way. My shirt stinks sometimes. I do this because of the love of Jesus and the love of you. And it's not that I'm saying that for an attaboy. It's that I need to say it more often that I love you guys. And for whoever's listening to the recording that wasn't able to make it today, I still love you too, even though you're not here. Still love you. I have a zeal and a passion. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, they greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it's not read by anyone else because this is special for just you all. No. See that it's read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Oh, I wish I had that one, but we don't have it. Then verse 17. And say to Archippus or Archippus or I don't know, some other thug way to pronounce it. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Let me hammer on this for just a second. You'll see up on the screen a a slightly different translation here. Tell Archippus, be sure that you complete the work the Lord gave you to do. Put your name in there. Be sure to complete the work that the Lord gave you. I don't know what the work is that the Lord gave me. Rewind the teaching. Okay. God's gifted us all. Uh, Next point up on the screen, you'll see this. This is a foundation repair, one of the final ones we're doing. All of us. Now, how many is that? How many of you aren't included in all? Raise your hand if you're not included in all. Okay, three of you aren't included. All right, so you don't have to follow this one. So if you are all, all of us have been called on by God to use our gifts for his purpose. Are we on task? Well, I mean, I'm just good at these things, Joe. I mean, where is that useful? Have you asked the pastor if he needs help with something in that gifting area? Well, he probably doesn't need it, and you're probably wrong. Have you tried to jump in on this? Have you tried to jump in on that? What about your neighbor? What about your friends? What about these things? Are the gifts that I'm using, you'll see it up on the screen. God gives us gifts to be used where God has us right now. God doesn't empower us now for something 20 years down the road. If God's given it to us for now, that's because we're supposed to use it He almost fell off the stage here. Let's try it again. Okay. If God gave it to us now, then we're supposed to use it now. Now. If you have this gift, use it. If you have this gift, use it. If you have this, well, I'm just going to wait. Why? Well, I need to pray. You're not sure of your gifting? No, I just need to sure if God's going to have me do it. Do you have it? Yes. Are you somewhere they need it? Yes. Then you're probably supposed to use it. I don't know. I need to pray. Why? It's just like running around in circles here. Do you have the gift? Yes. Does the church need it? Yes. Do you have the gift? Yes. Does your, does your neighbor need it? Yes. Withholding those things, why would we do that? God gave it to us to be used. 
What are we doing with it? I'm not saying what the gift is. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of gifted people out here. How are we using what God gave us to his glory? Here's a couple of questions to think about. What am I able to do? Am I doing it, the thing that I'm able to do? Am I making it better? Am I getting better in the giftings that I've done? Here's a good question. Am I the only beneficiary of the giftings that I have? One plus zero equals one. Am I the only beneficiary of the gifts that God's given me? I'm going to skip the, the next verse I was going to read out. We just we don't have the time. Verse 18 says something, and that's where we're going to close for today. I lost the bet. I'm three minutes over, but we are going to finish this chapter. Verse 18 says this. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Here's what you don't see Paul saying. I'm signing this with my own hand. Get me out of here! It stinks. They say mean things. They don't like Jesus. It's not fun. It's, it's hard. Uh, you don't read that here. Paul is even the one who says groanings that can't be uttered. I'm sure he had a few of those eh moments. But that's not what he said. What did he say? He said, remember my chains. Remember that things are hard. I'm not begging to be delivered here. And, and here's something that you'll see, which is just phenomenal. Foundation repairs, we close on this. God uses hard times <clears throat> to solidify our foundations. He uses it as, as heat and as a catalyst to take the things that have been deposited in there and to solidify them so we never deal with them again. That heat cures the things that are on our foundation. Here's, here's the problem. I was talking to someone this week. They said, yeah, yeah, I've really, really grown in this area. God's really shown me some new things. And I said, well, get ready. What do you mean? I said, once we're delivered of something that's false and we're implanted with something that's true, God has to add heat to make sure it stays. What do you mean by that? This week's going to stink for you. Love you, man. I'll pray for you. Well, why would you say that? Trust me. God loves us enough that we would, so we would never have to trip over the same tripping block again and again and again. I don't know if I like that, Joe. This is how it is. We know that. Because we'll go back to that, like, where is that thing I just learned? Like, this is getting too hard. God, love you, but I gotta, I'd much rather have a pothole that I trip over in the dark. And we do that, don't we? We do that. We run from the things that have changed us, that God's used us. Here's what I want to close with. You can go all the way to the last point, Tony. It's a verse in Hebrews 13. This is, a, this is something that, I don't know if you guys have ever met Joe. Absolutely lovely man right there in the red suspenders. But he and I talk often about the, the persecuted church. And Paul was the beginning of the persecuted church. Some people think Paul wrote Hebrews. I don't really care because this is powerful and it matches Scripture. So the writer of Hebrews is what I'll say. Here's what he says, and I think echoing what Paul said in Colossians. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your bodies. 
That's how Paul closes this. He's, he says this. He says, guys, don't forget I'm in chains. Don't forget that the end of Christianity is not comfort, is not, oh, they play Christian music on the radio. Ooh, they said Jesus. Ooh, they prayed at their meal. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about devotion to our creator, period, done. We have the luxury to be in a country where everything else makes it so easy to coast. You know what the one prayer request is from the persecuted church? It's consistent across the world. Do not pray that we are delivered. Pray that we have the strength to stand. Guys, we pray, God, take me out of this job because they're mean to me. And while people are getting, literally, their faces hit with their own Bibles, getting their bodies beaten with reeds, having coat hangers whipped across their body, they're not saying, deliver me, God. They're saying, God, may I never blaspheme your name. May I stand with you forever. And are we praying with them? Are we really remembering in their chains? Next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday. It's going to be the Persecuted Church Sunday. I've got a bunch of videos I want to share. I've got some testimonies I want to share with you personally. Joe has been writing letters. I know some of you also have been writing letters to those that are in prison, in persecution actively. There's testimonies on some of these videos of what those letters have done to give them hope, not that I'm going to get out of here, but hope that they can stand for Jesus because their brothers and sisters are praying for them. Guys, do you realize the church is so underground in China that they don't even realize Christianity is outside of where they're at? They have no visibility. They have asked interviewers, just tell us, has Jesus made it out? Has the message of Jesus made it out of our country yet? Because they're not, even, they're not even wanting to get delivered. They just want to know there's a gospel making it. It's not trapped here, is it? And our answer is, no, it is not trapped. And I'm getting goosebumps. It's not trapped. It is alive, and it is changing lives, and it has always changed lives, just like Paul said. And I am completely abusing y'all for making you sit this long. I, a little bit amped this morning. So here, here's, the, here's the, the challenge that I want to close this all with. You can close your Bible. You can close your notes. Next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday if you, if you can make it. You're not going to walk out of here the same. You're not going to walk out of here being okay being who we are today. But I will tell you what, you will walk out with, a, with an absolute unwavering understanding of what real Christianity looks like. I'm not saying go and Stand in the middle of somewhere so you get arrested so you can feel persecution. I think that's dumb. But let's use the tools that God gave us to build not only locally where we're at, but ways to encourage anyone in the world as we pray, as we seek and give. But here's what I want to do. Is we Go ahead and close your eyes as, as we close in prayer. See, Paul in verse 3 of chapter 4 says something. He says, pray for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the gospel for which I'm in chains. He doesn't say pray that we can get out. He says, I don't want out. I want power. I want power, not out. This morning, if you want to pray with me, because you don't even have that power, Jesus has never been your foundation, and I would love to pray with you this morning. This, this dedication to Jesus, this devotion, just, it's never made sense until now. Raise your hand while all eyes are closed. Raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe 
Maybe it's one step further. Maybe it's, you know what, I, I haven't been devoted. I've been trying to check the box, Pastor. Or maybe I haven't been checking the box, but I've been feeling bad about not checking it. But this morning's the morning to say, you know what, I'm devoted again. Amen. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. It's time to be re-devoted. Not caught up in the religiousness or the feelings or the frustrations, but to really be devoted. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. About two more seconds. Anyone else? Lord God, first off, thank you for your grace. And so I walked a life where I didn't have as much devotion. You still love me. God, forgive me for the lack of devotion. You are so much more worth what I've ever given you, God. Help me, God, to be devoted at every turn, no matter what, God. You are my priority. Use me, God, for your glory. Use me, God, to transform whatever and whoever you've called me to by the power of Jesus, not by the power of some religious actions, not by the power of knowing more than somebody else, but by the power of Jesus and his message. Use me, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.